Hey, it's Keith. So it's a very dreary autumn day in Berlin, Germany. It's been this way for a while and it affects my mood. That's for certain. Um, a lot going on emotionally and mentally. I want to talk some things out. This episode is going to be about cancel culture. It will be my second or third episode on this topic, but the most official, the last one being behind my Patreon paywall. I would love everybody's support on patreon.com slash Keith Telfayan. My last name is T-E-L-F-E-Y-A-N. And I'm trying to grow my output as a creative, as a content creator, as a thinker. And I do need help, if I'm honest. (laughs) I need help in many ways. A friend did ask me this week um, if I was posting a meme just to be funny or if it was an actual cry for help. And (laughs) I had to say both, frankly. Um, I hate to come off as melodramatic, so I don't want to make this all about me, but I've been experiencing being canceled. (laughs) I get canceled a lot, actually, as it turns out depending on how broadly you can define that phrase, I am a person that gets canceled all the time. And I want to talk about some of these examples and tie it into cancel culture as a phenomenon in 2020. It's been going on for years, but now it's really a thing. And I want to talk about that, cite some evidence for it and make a case and then talk more broadly about what it all means and why it upsets me. You know, a big reason why I'm doing this podcast, thinking out loud, is because I really believe in free expression and open dialogue and thinking through things. I don't always know something. I don't know if I believe anything. But I have intuitions and I have reactions and I have, I do have some core beliefs that I've developed over time. Some of them have shifted, but by and large, I very much believe in liberal principles of free speech, of a libertarian sense of personal space, personal freedoms and liberties to live and let live. This kind of stuff, I really fundamentally believe it. And I also do believe in helping each other in communities and Uh, pooling wealth for the greater good and sharing that wealth to the people more in need. I believe in redistributionism. That's a topic I've gotten into fights about lately. And yeah, I I have these values um, that I'm quite comfortable with. But I also like to somehow uh, think out loud in controversial ways and to provoke. This is something about my personality that I've been resistant to because I really don't like upsetting people. I don't like it when people are mad at me. It hurts. And I've lost friends. I've actually lost a lot of friends (laughs) over the years um, because of this quality that I have. And it really makes me feel bad if I'm honest. I've talked to some other friends about it. There are people I think that get me, if you will, people that support me for being me. 
And I don't even know what that really means, but enough people have now told me that I am a provocateur, that I do accept that. I don't really aim to provoke, generally speaking, but I do like going into the interesting areas. And if I find some little uh, thread, I might start pulling it. I think it's interesting. It's like, it's really in me to be curious and to follow that lead. And a lot of people dislike that. I would say most people. And it makes me sad because I don't have a sense of superiority over people that don't want to go there, that would rather uh, either stay blind or ignorant or just leave topics alone, touchy subjects, you know, people that are sensitive, people that are going through things and just want to kind of like be surrounded by good goodness, happiness. I get all of that, you know, like, and these are people close to me. So like, why would I want to hurt them? And yet it's just so it's in my nature to explore it. I just love exploring things a lot, any topic, even ones that make me uncomfortable. And there are plenty of things that I'm uncomfortable with, you know, future planning, relationships, uh, goals, and the hierarchies in the world. Like I'm very uncomfortable with these things, but I'm happy to talk about them as long as I feel like I can be heard that I'm really participating in an open discussion. So a friend sent me this little quote, one of these inspirational quotes. It says, a lot of folks don't like you because you illuminate the shadow work they refuse to do. I'm going to reread that. I misspoke a little bit. A lot of folks don't like you because your light illuminates the shadow work they refuse to do. And I believe that, but I don't want to be an annoyance, (laughs) but I am, I just am. So I guess I'm trying to accept that about myself. It means just losing friends and it means getting canceled. So this has happened to me a few times this week, multiple times in one week almost in every social situation I'm in and a close friend was visiting and was saying like, Keith, I'm afraid to go places with you. You're a liability. Every social situation we're in, people get mad at you and I'm like guilty by proximity. And this hurt to hear. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to always be this liability making people uncomfortable. It's happened multiple times this year especially during coronavirus, when people's natures come out, their, their fears of the virus, their natural tendencies to close off, put up walls to protect themselves against the virus, but also everything else in life. And a lot of those people, like a lot of my friends are those people. Like it's just a personality trait. And I don't surround myself with people that have the same personality as me. Should I? Is that who I should be hanging out with? People that also like to instigate and go into controversial topics. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's who I should be around. Um, You know, maybe I should spend more time on Twitter and find these kind of contrarian thinkers that I gel with. But I don't know those people necessarily. 
Um, and the ones that I know, I very much appreciate you. And I appreciate your um, support and your comments to me in private. But not much is done in public, you know. I don't use Facebook these days, really. But um, it's probably because I just am so bad at it. I have no popularity there. So if, I've, if ever I shared a link in the last 10 years, I would say, like at top, like 10 people might like it, maybe. And I get more negative feedback than positive feedback. So... I don't know. I, this is funny because like part of cancel culture is just simply being unpopular. And a lot of the defenders of cancel culture, I guess that's not what you would prefer to be called if you are one. I don't know what you want to say. Maybe um, like I've heard the arguments that like it's not cancel culture that doesn't exist. It's just this phenomenon where if you say something wrong, you shouldn't be platformed. You shouldn't have a job. Your life is still okay. You can still do whatever, but why should this company hire you if you say this thing? Like it's just kind of this justification around it. I guess the most popular way of saying that is actions have consequences. And that's what we hear a lot. That's like the defense I hear, the justification. Like you're allowed to say anything you want. There is free speech, but the other people have are allowed to react and to fire you. And that's true enough, I guess. Actions do have consequences. That is true. But you would think that there would be some rights for labor. You would think a movement or a, a, a party built on labor and protecting labor might want to protect your job from that slightest offense, for instance. And it's also funny that it goes hand in hand with this tattletale culture, this attitude of seeking an authority to meet out punishments. It's very much a mom, Billy poked me kind of society that we're living in now. Go to HR, complain, or like, you know, the reasons to silence people are like, it's a dog whistle for hateful people. It's hate speech. Uh, it emboldens Nazis, neo-Nazis, the far right, the right wing, the alt right. Um, I'm not personally convinced to suddenly become a KKK member, but other people might. Therefore, you can't say that. This is the kind of justification. Um, and I don't buy that. I just don't buy it. I think good ideas thrive and bad ideas die in sunlight. And I always think of this YouTube clip of a hero of mine called Christopher Hitchens. He is, uh, I'm going to look this up as we're talking here. Um, he interviews, I'm not going to be able to find this, am I? Um, he interviews somebody who is detestable. I want to say it's either a psychopath or like a, a clan member or a neo-Nazi. Uh, he, he invites this person onto his talk show and just asks what this person thinks. And the person says what he thinks. And it's kind of this gross stuff. And Christopher Hitchens follows up with interesting questions and just kind of exposes this man for his vileness. He doesn't shut him down. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't really even try to argue with him because he doesn't even want to dignify it with a debate style response. He just 
talks it through a little bit and then says, okay, thank you for joining us. We'll be back and then leaves. And I offer anybody curious to Google Christopher Hitchens and watch some of his interviews. Um, he was a really sharp thinker and I wish he was alive today to make comments about cancel culture. My point with all that is that I believe in discussion. I believe in talking. And a lot of the reasons I get in trouble personally is that I, I enter a dialogue in a group or with a person often in a social situation and it gets fun and interesting. And I think we're in this philosophical space which I take is rather sacred. Like we're deciding to think about ideas. That's what we're doing here. And we're doing that. And then suddenly the ground shifts a little bit and it becomes either emotional or personal for the other person. And I might just have some Asperger's or be on the spectrum. I don't know. Um, but I don't always pick up on that. Maybe. Maybe that's a theory that I just miss this moment when I should back off. And when I say I should back off, I'm talking about social tactics like etiquette, like prioritize the friendship or the, you know, the social cohesion above the philosophical pursuit. But it's, it's fun to be dedicated to the philosophical pursuit and to talk really about heavy things. And then I'll just keep doing that because I'm not getting a signal. I'm not getting a really clear signal like, Keith, can you actually back off? Because I don't know if I'm comfortable going too much deeper into this. I think I'm going to get worked up. Sometimes people say that and I think, oh, of course, sorry, we don't have to talk about this. Especially on a date. That happens all the time. Like, um, I'll meet somebody that I might be romantically interested in and we might get into this kind of dialogue. And if she has the wherewithal to see what's happening with herself, she'll say it and then I'll hear what she says and then we'll change the subject and it, it works. But a lot of times I think we can all just get carried away and wrapped up in the idea. And then before we know it, we're like sweating and getting really worked up and angry. So this has happened to me. I want to say, <laughs> uh, what's today? Thursday. It happened Tuesday night. It happened, uh, Sunday. It happened Saturday night. And I think it happened Friday as well. And maybe even Wednesday before that. It happens like all the time. And I'm not proud of that. In fact, I'm a little embarrassed. And I would actually, I, when I investigate myself, when I try and meditate on this and psychologically analyze myself, I wonder, does my depression have something to do with this? Am I projecting? Am I distracting myself with somebody else's problem? Am I, you know, glomming on to this little, you know, tear in the fabric of something that I'm seeing so that I, you know, am not thinking about my own failings? Because that could be the case. And it could be the case for all of us. We all might be doing that, right? The, I, I think there's a lot to say about our personal well-being and the way that we are behaving right now in society together. I think we're all sick, basically. I think we're all totally sick. But can we just admit it and laugh about it and like recognize it and just point that out to each other here and there? So yeah, this is the this is the phenomenon that I'm seeing that we all have some neuroses and some emotional baggage and what I'm sensing is that actually the people in power, people that have cultural power as well as political and 
capital power, bosses, coworkers, are people that have emotional issues around victimhood mostly, but also just sensitivities, oversensitivities, probably from like sheltered parenting or being special, whatever. Jonathan Haidt writes about a lot of this in The Coddling of the American Mind, this social media phenomenon that's also analyzed in recent movies on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, and The Great Hack. I want to do an episode about those specifically, just to name drop them here. What I'm seeing is that the powers that be are actually Google, YouTube, Facebook, Apple, uh, Twitter, these kind of platforms are left-leaning platforms and they silence dissent, which is very Orwellian. And the way that they do it is in the way they justify it is that it marginalizes people. It, um, it threatens the livelihoods of minorities, you know, as if, as if anything I can possibly mutter could violently hurt somebody doesn't even make sense it like literally doesn't make sense but that's the justification of deplatforming someone you know like i could be taken off of patreon for this potentially literally you know like think about that isn't that kind of insane like that happens and victimhood is weaponized now it's a weapon to be offended and to point your finger at somebody and say, you've hurt me through your words or beliefs and I'm done with you now. I mean, that's like a breakup, right? That's like emotional trauma. And I think something's wrong with all of us that we feel that way, that we feel so strongly about words, I guess. So you obviously see this in regard to race and gender. Um, you see it a lot. You see it all every day that the power dynamic is that people that get silenced are the ones that somehow challenge this kind of hegemony. And it's funny because we're not necessarily thinking of this kind of leftist attitude as the power, dyna- the power structure, but it is. It's not Donald Trump's administration. That's true. But it is this thing where major brands, major companies, the people that they fire are the ones that usually criticize, let's say black lives matter. And, you know, or going back to the me too movement, somebody like Matt Damon is the one that's vilified for saying something like, this is probably a spectrum. We should probably separate like uh, crass jokes in social situations from violent rape. You know, he was like pilloried for saying that, you know? So I'm talking about the culture that pillories Matt Damon for saying something that seems very benign and obvious to me, but I guess I'm also part of this problem that I would ask for nuance in that kind of discussion. Okay, so the problem is that, let's see if I can talk about this. Let's take something like rape, which is obviously 
awful. It might be the worst thing that any of us can imagine. I mean, it's just so bad. And you can imagine it just worse and worse. You can add so many layers to make it worse, right? And then whatever you're imagining as terrible that you've either either lived or can imagine, okay, that creates a sensitivity on the topic, right? It's not like polite dinner conversation. So what happens if it's brought up? Why is it being brought up? Is anybody that brings it up automatically uh, instigating? Is it always malicious, right? Is there a way to talk about this without pushing buttons or, you know, making it personal? That's a real question. Is it at all ever possible to talk about that topic? I would hope so. But like, if I'm talking about it with a new group of people, some of whom I might not know, acquaintances, I don't know their past. I am sensitive. I want to be sensitive and not assume anything. And maybe somebody has gone through something terrible. Maybe that's too extreme of an example, but let's say like um, a relative who's passed away recently or even like, um, you know, a miscarriage, like people go through hard things, you know, and it is important that we have sensitivity about it. But in the realm of talking and thinking, I would hope that these topics are still possible to think through together and that the sensitive person (sighs) builds up the courage and strength to persevere through a conversation. That would be my psychological recommendation knowing some psychology, studying it, going through it a lot myself, you don't get better by avoiding something, by hiding away from it. You get better, you recover, your wounds heal when you face it and you face it in a safe way, um, comfortably, but it is uncomfortable, but you have to go through some discomfort in life. And so my question is, Is it always the fault of a person that brings up the topic or makes the bad joke or pushes a conversation a little further? Is it always that person's fault? And even if it is that person's fault, what should be the punishment? Should they be outright dismissed? Should they no longer be friends? I know a lot of people that don't want to be my friend because of that, you know? And I guess I just wonder also, like, when someone is offended, are they always right? And what does it mean that I have to be more sensitive to them and that they don't have to do anything? They don't have to be more sensitive to me. They don't have to try and see where I'm coming from. They don't have to do anything. They just get to be hurt and offended and I'm the bad guy, right? So this is how I get canceled. Now, for better or worse, I'm not employed by a major university or institution or company. So I'm not ever actually getting fired for my actions. And I think I have some wherewithal for that kind of environment, but not really. I'm not very well trained in office politics and corporate behavior and dynamics. You know, I understand like how to like be chill. Um, but I don't really know what the boundaries are with having a conversation with somebody like that you work with outside, whatever doesn't matter. Point is that I'm not literally getting canceled, but like when I post something on Facebook and nobody 
responds to it or likes it, that feels like a cancellation. It's been hard as a content creator to try and put things out that don't get any traction because of this kind of pre-cancellation. That's what it kind of feels like to me. And, you know, it just could be not being popular. It could be unpopularity. It could be what the market doesn't want. And that is a, a point by the PMC, the professional managerial class. Um, that's a phrase, by the way, to describe like middle class, upper middle class professionals who kind of maintain this world order, this, uh, the etiquette, you know, what, how do you, how to properly vet somebody or, uh, groom somebody into the right positions and say the right things. And these are, this is kind of where the judgments come from. The, the, I don't know, the influence, the real influencers, uh, in society. I think a lot of the things we hear, the words we hear, like, um, the one I referenced earlier was actions have consequences, or this is a dog whistle. That's why you can't say that. Or, you know, a lot of the BLM stuff that you've seen, like, um, if you're white and are tired of hearing this, that's because you're privileged. Um, not to say that you don't have, uh, struggles, but being your, your skin color isn't one of them. Like these come from this kind of influencer group, this professional managerial class, these kind of buzzwords and ways of thinking and talking. And I think frankly, like I'm anti-authoritarian. I call bullshit on some of this just because I think, who are you to say that? Like I challenge that. I don't take you at your word necessarily just because you speak with authority And if I was listening to me, I would think the same thing. Like, Keith, uh, who are you to be saying this? I don't know if I agree. You need to be challenged. And that's totally true. (laughs) I agree with you. I love being challenged. Um, But they're upholding something like this new world order of anti-racism, intersectionality. And you can't question this. And if you bring up a question about it, you are automatically on the side of Trump. You're automatically a bad guy. You know, even my very well-intentioned friends will say something like, if you vote for Trump, you are racist. Now, that's just like a (laughs) error. That's a logical fallacy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, It's not true. But it's an easy way of demonizing anybody else. The whole punch a Nazi thing. Um, You know, Richard Spencer was punched in the face on video a few years ago, and this became a meme, and it really grew. And it's no wonder we have like violent protests in the streets now with Antifa in Portland or wherever where things are really going down and people are getting hurt. And we've enabled that by advocating that if something is deemed bad enough, you get to do whatever you want to it. You get to attack it with violence. Like you can actually be violent. And that's where the 20th century went wrong. And we have people like Louis C.K. or let's say Kevin Spacey or let's say Roseanne who was fired uh, from her extremely popular TV series because of a tweet that sounded racist. And she's like persona non grata now in Hollywood. So this idea of canceled being canceled, it's like you are dead to me now. And it's unclear if there is a path to redemption. That's unclear. We have a path to redemption for murderers, But for somebody that says something wrong 10 years ago, it's not clear what that redemption path is. An apology isn't enough. 
an apology is an admission of guilt and further damns you in the eyes of a lot of mobsters. And I should make a note here that I'm describing a phenomenon that is not necessarily big. I don't know how big this is. I don't know how many people think this way. I hope the majority, the the silent majority, don't think this way. I think it is more of a PMC, Twitter activist kind of situation. But I do see it, and I see it at work in my social circles and in my uh, professional circles. So it's it's a thing. It's just unclear what the rules will continue to be and if it can be fought or resisted as the Harper's letter tried to do. The Harper's letter is this famous uh, open letter published in Harper's Bazaar signed by the likes of J.K. Rowling and Noam Chomsky and uh, maybe John McWhorter. Um, anyways, public intellectuals, thinkers, artists, um, musicians, Wynton Marsalis, the jazz musician, this letter to say, hey, let's loosen up, lighten up here because we can't express ourselves freely like it's our job to do in this atmosphere, in this cultural climate of immense oppression and fear of making the wrong move. That is not healthy for artists. That's the letter. It's a great letter. It got attacked big time <laughs> by, you know, what I would call something like neo-Marxists or intersectionality advocates um, on the grounds that this is no time for free expression when people's lives are at risk. This kind of, you know, really extreme language or, um, you know, really exaggerating language. Um, and even people that signed the letter, some of them said, oh, I didn't know that she would sign it. I don't want to be associated with a transphobe. I don't want to be associated with uh, an Islamophobe. Like, so you had this kind of talk in these circles. So it was kind of <laughs> proving itself in a way like this way that we all demonize each other and vilify each other on the slightest of suspicions is unhealthy. It's unhealthy for creative people. It's unhealthy for, um, a vibrant market of ideas. It's unhealthy on our psyches it's bad for everyone. It's bad for consumers. It's bad for you on social media when you don't know if you're allowed to say something or post something. It's bad. It feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? I feel uncomfortable. And if I feel uncomfortable, I think a lot of other people must also. Yeah. Okay. So let me get back on point. There's a website uh, called the National Review. It turns out that this is a conservative uh, publication. I've heard of it in my life, but I've never read it because it's conservative. Um, but it's the one that has this, uh, section on it called the cancel counter. And <laughs> am I allowed to recommend this? Am I, I mean, how do you feel that this is a conservative publication? Does it already render it bad? Like, is this information, uh, inadmissible in court because it's conservative? I think a lot of people would say yes. Like you can't look at that because it's on the wrong website. You know, if maybe Washington Post published it or Vice, then you could look at it. But because it's the National Review, you can't. I don't know. I hope that people have opened enough minds to take information from anywhere and analyze it on your own 
and decipher it as such. And that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at this site called the cancel counter. There's almost a hundred of these and I just want to like touch a couple of them. Um, I'll just read you like number one, just to give you a sense of what this means. Um, in cancel culture. Lee Fang, an investigative reporter at The Intercept, was attacked on social media by his colleagues for sharing a Martin Luther King Jr. quote about the importance of remaining nonviolent in the face of racism in response to activists' claims that MLK believed violence was sometimes justified. Then it shows his tweet. The backlash mounted after Fang tweeted out a video in which a black man attending a George Floyd protest complained about black-on-black violence. Okay, so this journalist doing his job, investigative reporter, interviewed a black man who brought up black-on-black violence, which, by the way, like, you're not allowed in some discourse to say that word because it's like a dog whistle to white nationalists. It's like twists the conversation or something. It's like inadmissible that black on black violence is a thing. Okay. Um, Lee Fang's, I have to read Lee Fang's tweets. I'm sorry. This is a little complicated. Okay. Lee Fang says seeing so many manipulate the MLK quote that riots are quote, the language of the unheard read the actual speech. It's a passionate argument against riots and in support of nonviolence at a time when much of the radical left despised MLK and embraced violence. His second tweet asked everyone I spoke with today, if there was anything they wanted to get off their chest about the movement, Max from Oakland, a supporter of BLM had a measured critique he wanted to share. And then should I play this? Maybe I should just play this even. Like, I guess, you know, I'm black. I'm not fully black, but I'm majority black. I have some Cherokee blood in me, mixed in me, me and Will, but when people look at me, I'm black at the end of the day and stuff like that. So when I, as a black person, look at the Black Lives Matter movement, I have questions. Like, I always question, why does a black life matter only when a white man takes it? I have that question. Why do we value our lives on the color of a person who takes it? Because where I grew up at in East Oakland, there's been a lot of black people who were killed by other black people or black people who were killed brown people or some vice versa and stuff like that. Why is the attention only brought, only put on it and only brought up when a white man takes my life? Why are we so tethered with this white black? I, I just don't get it. We're so tethered in that. Like if a white man takes my life, it's going to be national news and stuff like that. If a black man takes my life tonight, it might not even be spoken of. You know, and I don't, I don't like that. That goes on. And Lee Fang's coworker, Akila Lacey, then says on Twitter, tired of being made to deal with my coworker, continuing to push narratives about black on black crime after repeatedly being asked not to. This isn't about me and him. It's about institutional racism and using free speech to couch anti blackness. I am so fucking tired. Okay, so basically, she was aiming to have he, him fired over his investigative reporting. Uh, What do you think about that? In the end, Lee like had to go on and make these apologies on Twitter to protect himself. Now, maybe that's okay. I don't know. Maybe he should, I don't know. I, to me, he's doing his job, but basically his coworker was like using all these um, triggers that people respond to 
Um, this is about institutional racism. Uh, it's couching anti-blackness. I am tired. I am a victim about it. You know, like, and she has the power when she does that, right? Because she's the aggrieved person. Let's read number two. David Shore, a 28-year-old political data analyst who worked for Barack Obama's re-election campaign, was fired after tweeting out a study showing that violent protests and the ensuing media coverage tends to increase support for Republican politicians. Okay, so here's another, you know... Uh, okay, so his, his tweet says, post-MLK assassination race riots reduced Democratic vote share in surrounding counties by 2%, which was enough to tip the 60 election to Nixon. Nonviolent protests increased Dem vote, mainly by encouraging warm elite discourse and media coverage. Ari Trulio Webster, the founder of Openfield, a Democratic canvassing app, promptly attacked Shore in racial terms for sharing the paper. So the response to him was, yo, minimizing black grief and rage to, quote, bad campaign tactic for Democrats is bullshit most days, but this week is absolutely cruel. This take is tone deaf, removes responsibility for depressed turnout from the 68 party and reeks of anti-blackness. Okay, so David Shore is also accused of anti-blackness and he was fired. That's cancel culture. Uh, Number three, Grant Napier was fired from his job as a radio host, uh, resigned from his job as play-by-play announcer for the Sacramento Kings, my hometown, after receiving backlash for tweeting All Lives Matter, every single one on May 31st. Napier had worked for the Kings since 1988. Napier's recent comments about the Black Lives Matter movement do not reflect the views or values of this station. Uh, The company said in a statement, the timing of Grant's tweet was particularly insensitive. Okay, so we're like the attacks are insensitivity, tone deafness, uh, anti-blackness. What's the other word that this woman used? Um, Institutional, like couching anti-blackness. So this is the theme. Okay, so this guy got fired and had to step down from his other job. Uh, That's number three. Um, There's 90 of these. Obviously, I'm not going to read them all, but they're interesting. They're very interesting. Um, let's just read some random ones. MTV fired reality TV star Dee Nguyen from its show, The Challenge, after what the network called offensive comments on the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, so a lot of these are related to BLM because that's kind of like the era that we've been living through this summer. Um, Annie permanently canceled one of the highest rated shows on cable live PD after it was placed on hiatus following George Floyd's death. Uh, The network issued this statement. This is a critical time in our nation's history and we have to, we have made the decision to cease production going forward with the determined. Okay. So that's like canceling a show. That's not really a person saying the wrong thing. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Number 20, JK Rowling, author of the Harry Potter book series has defended herself against accusations of anti-transgender animus. Quote, Huge numbers of women are justifiably terrified by the trans activists. I know this because so many have gotten in touch with me to tell their stories. They're afraid of doxing, of losing their jobs or their livelihoods, and of violence, Rowling wrote on her website on Wednesday. I refuse to bow down to a movement that I believe is doing demonstrable harm in seeking to erode women as a political and biological class and offering to cover predators like few before it. Rowling had criticized the use of the phrase people who menstruate in place of women. This is her tweet. Quote, people who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. 
<laughs> That's pretty funny. So um, JK Rowling is now attacked by most people I know as being a TERF, which stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. I don't know why it's radical to maintain this idea that a woman is someone with a womb. I'm open-minded on that, you know, and maybe you just want to accuse me of this too, of being a transphobe, because I might wonder if there's a biological justification for womanhood. Um, but she's canceled a lot of the way in, in a lot of ways, you know, she has like this stain on her. She's not literally canceled. Luckily. Well, I don't know if it's luckily, I don't care, but she's so big that obviously her publisher is still going to publish her book, which will sell. So she hasn't been canceled to that degree, but the public has turned on her. So that's another way that we can think about cancel culture. You might still hold a platform, especially if you can self fund it, but you lose so much of your audience. They turn your backs on you because you say something wrong. You just say something that's deemed wrong and you're considered the radical <laughs> for saying it. Um, that's an interesting one. The trans thing is big. I've gotten into fights about that with, um, with people and I don't feel like my, well, I don't know. I guess I'm not allowed to be the judge on whether or not my, my views are radical, but I am, ag- I am agnostic on the topic. I don't know. Uh, but I do have intuitions about womanhood and what it means. And I do believe that having two X chromosomes has something to do with it. I believe that menstruating has a lot to do with it. I believe that growing up as a girl who discovers her period has a lot to do with it. And that me as a grown man, I can't just declare that I'm a woman and be the same. It's not the same thing. Anyways, um, number 46 in Portland, Oregon, a century old statue of George Washington was toppled and vandalized Thursday night. Perpetrators spray painted demeaning messages such as white fragility, damn white men and 1619, which is a reference to the New York times, a historical initiative on slavery and the American founding. That's we reporting on it. Portland wakes up to see what Antifa did overnight. A century old statue of George Washington was toppled and set on fire with an American flag, white fragility, damn white men and other messages are written on the monuments on the ground nearby defund white men. Okay. So like, you know, taking down statues and stuff falls under cancel culture, more broadly speaking, cancel history, really. You know, and that's the topic I've talked about before. Um, Some monuments probably should be taken down because maybe they were put up as this fear-mongering campaign of of racists to make sure black people knew their place or something like that. You know, like I can get that argument. George Washington does not fit in that discussion. (laughs) YouTube removed a Heritage Foundation video featuring a former transgender-identifying woman, Walt Heyer, a contributor for the Federalist Higher expressed regrets about his life at a panel called the summit on protecting children from sexualization, which was highlighted in the video. The heritage foundation is now fighting for the video to be republished. Quote, I said that children suffering from gender dysphoria should not be encouraged to try experimental hormones in surgery. And I stand by that statement. Higher said in response to the controversy, doubling down on his initial remarks that was taken down by YouTube. So that's YouTube canceling that viewpoint. Now, 
is that a radical viewpoint? Is that like a terrifying Holocaust denying kind of viewpoint that children suffering from gender dysphoria should not be encouraged to try experimental hormones? That just sounds like a legitimate position that you can disagree with. Maybe you want children to take hormones. I don't, but I think it's insane to silence anybody for coming down on either side of that debate. Like let's have that discussion. We need to have that discussion in society. Like that's going to start happening. The more attention transgenderism or transsexuality becomes, the more a 10 year old will want to be the opposite sex. And the more parents will feel conflicted about what to do about that. That is a big deal. It's a big conversation that needs to be had and you can call either side liberal or conservative or whatever, but I think it's a little crazy to defund deplatform the conversation itself. Let's keep scrolling. Um, <laughs> the maker of Eskimo pie ice cream announced on June 19th that it would change the name of the brand dryers, grand ice cream said the company has been considering the change the company will also change the Eskimo pie logo, which features a picture of an Eskimo boy. Okay. So that's like in this spirit of, you know, Aunt Jemima, uncle Ben, um, the Washington Redskins, these kind of like corporate identities that are arguably racist or racially insensitive, or I don't know. Um, either profiteering off of the certain thing or whatever. I mean, the funny thing is that a lot of times the group in question has no problem with it and actually appreciates the shout out. Um, you know, like a native Amerindian person might not be offended by it, the Washington Redskins, but white people on their behalf are offended because they assume that it's offensive and maybe it is offensive. I don't know. And I don't care. Like change the name. It's, not a great name to me, but it's like this, um, like, do you do anything productive in society by just changing the butter packaging? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, whatever. It's fine. Um, and in that same spirit, there's been a lot of actors and actresses stepping down from roles when they don't match the identity of the character they're playing. So you have white women stepping down from voice and voicing Asian or black girls like on big mouth, Jenny slate or, um, Bojack host horseman, Allison Bree stepped down. Uh, I guess it was already over, but you have this kind of phenomenon of like self canceling or like, you know, because we're so tiptoeing around identity and what's okay. And the theme is things are not okay. You're not allowed to do these things. And that's what I object to. Like, don't tell me what I'm not allowed to do. Like, okay, if I'm being offensive, if I do something outwardly offensive and I really am uneducated on that topic or ignorance, you know, if I really do wear blackface as a way of mocking black people, that's wrong. Um, but if I'm a nuanced filmmaker that uses that situation in a movie to prove a deeper point, how is that the same at all? You know? So I think we're really losing our sense of perspective here. Okay, so I've covered a lot of these topics. There's more of these on statues that have been taken down. Teddy Roosevelt, Walt Whitman. These are great figures of history that stood for great ideas and great things. And it's sad to me that a lot of these are coming down. Um, others, I don't care. 
I actually don't really care about any statues necessarily, but the spirit of this is what I'm objecting to. And you know what it's a lot like? Book burning. It's punishing certain ideas because you are offended by the content of the enlightenment really. And this is my point that I want to make in this episode. This is a fundamentally conservative movement. Silencing speech is conservative. It is fear-based. It is scared of the light that illuminates the shadow work that you don't want to do, as my friend's meme put it. And it offends me that this conservative movement is so big and that people mistake it as a liberal movement, as if it's progressive to silence people, as if it's progressive to dismiss free speech, to deplatform anyone based on something they said. This is, that's a witch hunt. That's a witch hunt. That's what a witch hunt is. You accuse somebody of something and you hold the power because you were aggrieved. That's like literally what the Salem witch trials were. (laughs) If you want to check that out, the crucible is an amazing movie and play um, on that topic. Witch hunts were bad. Witch hunts were this phenomenon in uh, puritanical New England, USA, not USA, America. Like I think it was before America. I think it was 1600s where Puritans, highly religious conservative people, forbid, forbade dance along with like dating and sex before marriage and drug use and all this stuff, obviously. And some girls danced and got in trouble for it. And they blamed a neighbor and said she was a witch that possessed them. And then that neighbor was killed. And then the whole neighborhood went around accusing each other of being witches. And this was like in this highly religious sensibility of what do you have to say for yourself? I'm not a witch. She's lying. You know, this kind of thing. And then they say, okay, well, we're going to tie you to rocks and put you in the lake. And if you float, you're a witch and we're going to kill you. But if you drown, you'll just die a good Christian death. That's literally what they did a lot. And how is that so different than now? You find someone you don't like, you accuse them of doing something wrong, being racist for saying something against Black Lives Matter, being sexist for wondering if men who cut off their genitals are the same as women, uh, being a misogynist for wondering if there are any biological bases for the difference in the sexes being hateful for, or just being an instigator, whatever. Like you can accuse people of things. You can accuse me, accuse me of something. And then you have power because our society is granting power now to calling each other out. It's like a call out culture, you know, and then you, you have power. And what I've noticed and what hurts me personally is that in my social circles, if I offend someone, then they have the power. They get to tell me to leave. They get to tell me, I don't want you around anymore. I don't want to hang out with you again. And since they're the ones that are worked up and maybe need a hug or consolation, like I'm the bad guy. And maybe I am the bad guy. 
I'm not here to say I'm not the bad guy. Like, I guess I'm not really allowed to be the one to say that. But what I do want to say for myself as a quote, apology in the classical sense of it, which is more like an explanation, is that my intention is to investigate interesting topics and to do that socially, broadly speaking, in public. I'm just pointing out that the dynamic socially has turned where more and more people are more and more sensitive on more topics. And it's created a landmine effect where we're all tiptoeing around. And that's not good. And what I want to know is how do we sort this out together as a society? Because all my friends can cancel me. And maybe I'll make new friends. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll, maybe I deserve to rot and die alone because I'm so, you know, jagged and sharp edged and I just can't be with people. You know, maybe that's the fate that our modern society is committing me to. And maybe that's good for some of you that don't want to be bothered. I think if you're listening to this podcast, that's not you. I think (laughs) you couldn't stomach this podcast if you were that sensitive. But what I'm meaning is that what do we do with our critical thinkers and investigative journalist types with our, our inquisitors, our, you know, our provocateurs, like these people have a place in society. They are artists. They are journalists. They are, you know, flies in the ointment. They are muckrakers. They, they've existed throughout history. And these are my heroes. Like, I think these are cool people, people that find the boundaries, you know, comedians who like explore the edge of what's acceptable and maybe cross the line because you have to cross the line to know where it is sometimes. And I do that. I do that. I admit it. And when I do cross the line, I then have a decision to make. Do I stand over the line? Do I make that? Do I draw that line in the sand and make and declare it? It depends. And at that point, I accept judgment. If I find the line and you say, Keith, you've crossed the line. And then I say, good. I'm standing over here now, you know, in whatever way. I don't know what a good example would be. Um, I guess I'm going to refer to king of philosophers, Socrates, who was told that he was crossing the line with his Socratic method and was killed. And he accepted it because he, he stood firm in his dedication to philosophy and pursuing truth above the feelings of others above the social mores of the time. I don't think I'm ready to, to make that point, you know, like I care about philosophy and thinking, but I don't really want to be killed. I don't really want to be estranged from everybody and an outcast though. I can relate to that a bit. All right. That's cancel culture guys. Um, I don't know what more to add. There is a lot more to add. Uh, I, I guess I just want to make this clear that it's sad to me that people self censor and remain silent 
in this age of immense social pressure to fall in line. And the line that people are pressured into falling in line with is a hardcore progressive one, not a Trumpian or I don't even know, um, you know, Pegida or AF Day, like, you know, the, the European conservative stuff, like that is not mainstream at all. In fact, it's the, what's mainstream is hating and reviling that stuff. So I don't know. I am for actual inclusivity, actual diversity of thought, actually respecting others and hearing what they have to say versus the people that say they're for those things, but actually call other people subhuman or trash or, you know, something because they think something wrong. That's not liberal. That's not progressive. That's not left wing. That's just mean. And then there is this very sly, devious element of power rearrangement and the fight for power at the top. And that a lot of these virtuous movements are nothing more than angling for positions in society. So that should be noted. I don't know who among us does it, but it should be noted. It's pretty gross. If you ask me, I don't really want anything to do with it. I think it's stupid, but I just encourage everyone else to be aware of stuff like that a little bit, to be mindful that the things that you're convinced to believe through platitudes and chants deserve some thought and that it's okay. It's okay to question everything. And when people say question everything, that includes the authorities that tell you to do that. (laughs) Question me, question me. You can question me in private I wish I had a name that was easier to understand when you hear it, given that this is a podcast, but it is written in the description, Keith Telfan at gmail.com. You can write me. I'm on Instagram at Keith pictures. I'm on Twitter. I'm trying to use it more. My Twitter handle is a little weird though, too. Give me reasons to is my Twitter handle. Can I change that? I don't know if I can. Um, and my Patreon, again, is Keith Telfan. I should have made my Patreon key thinking because that would be a lot easier as well, wouldn't it? This is the kind of stuff that I really get anxiety about, like marketing and just planning things out intelligently. Like I want a handle that is catchy and easy. And my name is not that, unfortunately. I don't have shame around my name, but I'm not proud of it because it's hard to stand by clearly. It's just hard. So I could admit that. Um, But yeah, hit me up if you like. Um, I don't want this to be a one-way dialogue. I also invite people to dialogue with me. If you have a podcast, I'd love to talk with you on yours. Uh, Let's work something out together. I love dialogue. I love it. I just really love it. Um, Okay, until next time. Ciao.